As we'll see this morning, this is a book of wisdom. It's part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. God's gift to His people uh, to give them the skill of living, the life that He calls them to. And so we look uh, to this book, although it can be difficult and confusing, uh, we look to it as a gift from God, as words uh, from Him that bring us life. And so would you look with me to Ecclesiastes 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13, and I'm going to read all the way through chapter 10. So be patient as we take a little bit longer of a passage this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 13. Hear now the word of God. I've also seen the example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, through the poor man's, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and rich sit, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it. A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom will help one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land." When your king is the son of the nobility, and your princess feasts at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. And that's a bad translation. It should be money provides uh, for everything. Alright? Verse 20. Even in your thought, do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. Let's pray. Uh, Father, what a barrage of, of, of confusing things for us to hear. Uh, there's so much 
in this text um, that on the surface is difficult to understand. And so we need your help. And, and we need your help not just because of the confusing nature of texts like this, but we need your help because we're rebellious and we're prideful. And we would rather listen to our own word rather than yours. And so would you give us the grace to hear with humility this morning? Would you give us the grace of understanding and clarity? And would you give us the grace of transformation? That your spirit would take the gift of your voice in your word. And that he would work it in our hearts and lives. And that he would change us so that we can be people who reflect your beauty to this world. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I took a trip once with some friends. This was right after college, and we were all uh, single young men, just graduated. And we went to a conference in Orlando. And these friends came in, they picked me up. And my first question to them as I sat down in the car was, do you know where we're going? And they said, yes, Orlando is really easy to find. And I followed up and said, yes, but we need to go to a specific place in Orlando. Do you know where we're going? And they said, oh, we'll be fine. Uh, it, it's, it's a convention center. There'll be signs. We'll find it with no problem. We don't need a map. We don't need directions. And I tried to press the point and was shouted down. <laughs> so we went on our way and, and being... Foolish young men, we made very good time to Orlando by driving too fast. And we hit the city limits of Orlando. And two hours later, two hours later, we stumbled into the convention center where we were supposed to be after all the events of the day were already done. Been in a situation like that where there's an important message that people need to hear but the people who need to hear it, ignore it. They shout it down. It's the situation at the end of chapter 9 of the book of Ecclesiastes. There's this city that's threatened by a great king. And there's a poor wise man in the city. And he has a plan that can save the city. And it's unclear whether he actually has saved the city or can save the city, but, but regardless of what it is saying, the point is that although this poor wise man has a plan that will save the city, he is forgotten. He is not remembered. He is not valued. And in that story and in the sayings that follow the story, the teacher is saying to us, wisdom is powerful. Wisdom is good and wisdom is valued, but often wisdom is ignored. Wisdom is shouted down. It is quiet when it should be loud. And isn't that true of the world around us? Isn't that true of our own hearts, our own lives? When we should hear wisdom, it is shouted down by foolishness. And this tension is what sets up the reflections of chapter 10. And so I want us to consider this text, and I want us to think about wisdom, and I want us to think about how we can hear wisdom and be changed by it. And so as we look at this passage, we'll see three aspects. We'll just see the meaning of wisdom, we'll see the impact of wisdom, 
And we'll look at the failure of wisdom. Meaning, impact, and failure. So first of all, the meaning of wisdom, what is it? Look at verse 2 and 3 again with me of chapter 10. He says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. The image here of a road or a path is the dominant way that the Bible talks about wisdom. Wisdom is a direction. It is the ability to put one foot in front of another in a good direction. So, life is a path, and you can go to the right, and much to my chagrin as a left-handed person, in the Bible, right is always good. Okay, So you can turn to the right, which is good, and you can turn to the left, which is not good. And wisdom helps us take the right turn. It helps us to head in a good direction. It is to walk on the path towards what is good and right. And this is the way that the Bible conceives of wisdom as being able to walk on the path, as being able to walk on the road. And notice how detailed and mundane this is. Throughout this passage, we have instructions on very common parts of our lives. We're told how to use words. Uh, We are told how to relate to people in power, people with authority. We're told of the value of work and the danger of laziness. Uh, We are told when and how to eat and drink. And these are common topics in wisdom literature, in books like Ecclesiastes and the book of Proverbs, because... These practical matters, how we talk, how we relate to those around us, how we use money and time, those practical matters make up the direction of our lives. Those tiny decisions that we make every day about those different areas, those tiny decisions are part of the path of life. And wisdom helps us walk that path as we should. It helps us to walk on that path in a good direction, to put one foot in front of another towards what is right. Now, if that's all we say about wisdom, we're not saying much distinct. Because every culture has ways of giving advice about practical matters in life. I mean, go and pick up a self-help book, go and watch a TED talk, and you can get advice on the practical matters of life. But what is distinct about the biblical teaching on wisdom is that the Bible says that wisdom is not just analytical. It is not just observing the world and how to live in it. Wisdom at its root is relational. It's why the book of Ecclesiastes over and again returns to the fear of God. It's why he tells us that we should live fearing God. And in fact, that's where the book ends. It's where it goes to. We'll see this in a few weeks. In chapter 12, it says, what is the, what's the conclusion of all of these musing, all of these thoughts in the book of Ecclesiastes? What is the conclusion? It is to fear God and keep His commandments. And the end of Ecclesiastes is the beginning of the book of Proverbs. 
Chapter 1, verse 7 of Proverbs tells us that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. And when we get to chapter 12, we'll talk more in depth about what that phrase means. But it is enough now to note that wisdom comes from knowing God. It comes from knowing that God has made everything that exists with a design. And it is that knowledge that teaches us to live according to that design, to live within that design in a good way. Wisdom is relational. It is a response to God. Wisdom is an expression of worship. It begins and ends in worship. In fact, I think we could define wisdom as worship applied to daily life. It is worship worked out in those little decisions about how we talk, about how we parent, about how we work, how we rest, how we use our time, how we use our money, how we respond to people who are in authority. Wisdom is the answer to the question, if I adore God, how should I live? If I adore God, if I worship Him, how should I use words? How should I befriend people? How should I use my money? How should I approach my vocation, my work? And as wisdom answers that question, it becomes like the voice in your GPS or the map application on your phone telling you which way to go. So, so take a few moments and think, does your life reflect worship of God? Does your life reflect an ultimate value of who He is, what He says, and what He has done? Or does it reflect the worship of someone or something else? Now, why would we want that voice? I mean, sometimes you distrust that voice coming from your GPS, right? Sometimes you don't like it. We don't like to submit our agenda to another voice. We say, no, I, I can figure out a better way to make it to my destination. So why should we want the voice of wisdom? Why should we want a response to the question, if I adore God, how should I live? I mean, that means we have to, we have to lay aside our perspective and accept His, which we don't like to do. Why should we want to do that? Second aspect of wisdom the impact of wisdom. The answer to that question, why? Why should we value? Why should we hear wisdom? Why should we want this voice in our life? The answer to that is found in the future. It is found in the outcome of a wise life. So if wisdom is a direction, then motivation for wisdom is the destination. And notice how this passage talks about the destination of wisdom. Verse 10, it says, Wisdom can help one succeed. Verse 12 says, The words of the wise win favor, but the words of fools consume. Verse 15 says that the fool, the destination of the foolishness is weariness and law, being lost. And then, 
In verses 18 to 19, he talks about work, the wisdom of effort. And he says, work leads to provision, and the foolishness of laziness leads to decay. So the destination of wisdom is life. It is life in the fullest sense, but it is not merely or even primarily life for the individual. But the benefits of wisdom are directed towards the community. That's why the theme of leadership is so important in this passage. Right, we began at the end of chapter 9, where this wise person can lead and save this city. And that is in contrast to verses 5 to 7 of chapter 10, where the teacher grieves the all-too-common situation of fools with power. And then he restates this message in verses 16 and 17, where he says, Woe to the place that is led by fools, and happy are those who are led by the wise. So wisdom produces life, not just for the individual, but wisdom is royal. It's directed to those who lead others. And so it enables one to produce life in the people around them. To bring the benefit of wisdom, the benefit of life, to their community. The destination of wisdom is life in the fullest sense. Not only for me, but those connected to me. And the reason that we don't want the voice of wisdom is because we want what is good for me now than what is best for us later. That's why we struggle to hear wisdom. Because we want what is beneficial for me now rather than what is life-giving for my community later. So for example, when I come home after a long, hard day of work, which happens once a week. Um, <laughs> so I come home, and I'm exhausted from a hard day of work, slaving as your pastor. And um, I, I walk in the door. I can head in two directions. Okay? I can head in the direction of the couch, where I sit and turn on the TV or stare at the iPad and tell everyone to leave me alone. In, in other words, I can head in the direction of foolish laziness. Or I can head in the direction of wisdom which is to engage with my family, which is to seek to actively love and serve my wife and children. And that path, in the immediate moment, feels costly. It doesn't feel life-giving. But in the long run, it is what is most beneficial for my community. It is the path of wisdom. It is the way that I participate in bringing life to those around me. The impact of wisdom is to give yourself for the life of others. It is to produce the benefit that God intends for your community, not just for yourself. Pray that I would 
more often choose the path of wisdom. And I'll pray the same for you. Now, we have read the book of Ecclesiastes long enough to know that the teacher is not going to leave it that simple, right? In his ever or not never-ending pursuit of getting us all hooked on antidepressants, uh, he says it's more complicated than that. It is not that neat and clean. There's not this pure category of wisdom that leads to success and this pure category of foolishness that leads to discussion. To, to discussion. <laughs> to destruction. All right? It is not that simple. It's not that clean and neat. Life is more complicated than that. So we need to talk about a third aspect, the failure of wisdom. Notice a few of the depressing things that the teacher has to say in our passage. We've already mentioned uh, that he, he speaks to the reality of, of wisdom being powerful, wisdom being valuable for a community, but that community not valuing wisdom and so rejecting the voice of wisdom. He also has these ambiguous statements in verses 8 to 11 where he starts to talk about work. And in verse 8... He says, he talks about work that is negative and, and that leads to negative consequences. So in the Bible, digging a pit, that's always a negative thing. You're digging a pit so that someone else will fall into it, right? And, but he says, you dig a pit and you suffer the consequences of you falling into the pit. Uh, and then he talks about breaking through a wall. And walls, they marked boundaries between property. And so, to break through a wall is to invade someone else's property. He says, you invade someone else's property, you get bit by a snake. Okay, that makes sense. Negative work leading to negative consequences. But then he goes on to verse 9, and he talks about positive work leading to negative consequences. So, quarrying stone or cutting wood, those are good things to do, but they are also dangerous things to do. They are ways to put forth the effort of wisely working and still suffer pain, still suffer negative consequences. What is he doing? He's creating an ambiguity. And he is saying wisdom sometimes produces benefit in your life, but sometimes it doesn't. And then look at verse 1 of chapter 10 again. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. You see the image? A little folly destroys a bunch of wisdom. It's the old one bad apple cliche. You can live a generally wise life. And one pattern of foolishness one act of foolishness can cause enormous damage. When I say the name Joe Paterno, what do you hear? He was a man that, for the vast majority of his life and career, was held in, enormous, in high esteem, with great respect. And that has all crumbled, hasn't it? because of some failures in leadership and the foolishness that happened around him. You can have a group of generally wise people, but one fool 
to have a loud voice and lead them astray. Remember that the book of Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book. And as a wisdom book, it is connected with Solomon. Remember the life of Solomon? So many times we whitewash the life of Solomon and we know about Solomon that he was the wisest man who ever lived. But the story of Solomon is much more complicated than that, isn't it? Yes, he asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom like no man before him. But in the second half of Solomon's life, what happened? He began a pattern of foolishness. He began marrying wives who worshipped other gods. And then he began worshipping those gods. And then he led God's people into worshipping those gods. And that pattern of foolishness led God's people into civil war, into judgment, into ruin. One pattern of foolishness can cause enormous damage. And this is a consistent message in the book of Ecclesiastes. And why is that? Why is it this way? Why does wisdom seem so weak and fragile in comparison to folly? Well, remember that wisdom is knowing that there is a design and living according to that design that God has made in His world. But remember also that that design has been broken by our sin. We have rejected God, and so we have marred the design of creation. And so, wisdom doesn't always work the way that it should. And the teacher throws that in our face again and again throughout this book because he wants us to know this. He wants us to know that wisdom can help you, but wisdom cannot fix you. Wisdom can assist you in living well in this world, but wisdom cannot repair a world that has been broken by sin. It's the message of Humpty Dumpty. You sat on the wall, had a great fall, and all the king's horses... And all the king's men, even though they might be very, very wise, can't put the pieces back together again. And so we need a better king. We need not only wisdom, but we need the ideal wise ruler. Which is the way that Ecclesiastes once again leads us to Jesus. Because what did Jesus say about himself? He said, one better than Solomon is here. So Solomon was wise, but he was also foolish. And so he, fell, he, he failed as a ruler of the people of God, and he led them into judgment. But Jesus was better than Solomon. The book of Colossians says about him that he is the embodiment of God's Wisdom, untainted by sin. Jesus came not only to reveal creation and how to live within it, He came to repair that creation and indeed bring a new creation. As our King, He lived a perfectly wise life. 
And then he died the death of a fool. Why? So he could forgive our foolishness. And so he could pour out on us the riches of the wisdom of God. So here is how to hear wisdom in your life. And not only hear it, but be changed by it. We are changed by wisdom when we come to the end of our wisdom. When we see our own foolishness, when we see even the fragility of our own wisdom, and we have our eyes lifted by faith to the cross. Where the wisdom of God was perfectly revealed to us. And we find forgiveness, we find redemption, and we find hope that although wisdom cannot repair our broken world, our wise king can. Let's pray.